tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. This week, we are the official podcast of NBO Toronto and Mike, the National Bank Open Main Draw got underway with day one, and we had the return of live tennis with spectators, and you and I both got to watch live tennis again for, what, the first time in a couple of years. And not only do we get to watch live tennis for the first time in a couple of years, but it was the first time you and I have seen each other face to face in 18 months, which yep. is, I mean, it took us a while to kind of think about, has it really been that long? <laughs> because it doesn't feel like it since we're always doing our weekly podcasts and seeing each other through Zoom that it didn't feel like it had been that length of time. But holy smokes, man, we were overdue for a, an in-person catch up. Yeah, no kidding. And um I, I don't know about you, but in terms of the vibe for the, the night session on, on day one, I was impressed with the number of people who stuck around watching both matches, including Kyrgios Opelka, which followed the first one of Vashik Pospisil and Tommy Paul. But uh, really strong atmosphere. You could tell people were just eager to be out and about. And, you know, you're dealing with a long line at first as you go through because um, beyond just getting checked, some COVID-19 protocols, filling out your health check. But once you're in... Once you kind of get get on the grounds and, and over to center court, it, it felt like some normalcy to me. Yeah, absolutely. And wasn't that the nicest part about it? I feel like uh, was just feeling normal again, sitting there with you. Uh, my friend Ed Kleiman, who does uh, tennis coverage for CBC Radio, came with me as well. I hadn't seen him since two years ago at the tournament, actually. So, yeah, getting to catch up with people, feel normal sitting there on court just for a short period of time and catching some some great tennis. So why don't we start with last night here in Toronto? And uh, it ended up being a late night. I got home around uh, almost one in the morning and then up early this morning to do our, our podcast. So disclaimer, I'm not a morning person. So if I, <laughs> if I make some sort of bold claim, like, you know, Vashik Pospisil won the National Bank Open last night, please forgive me. Um, it's just morning Mike that's getting that out of his system. But uh, why don't we start with Vashik, who was up against American Tommy Paul, on center court in a match that we both gave him a very solid chance of coming through. And unfortunately that didn't come to be. And I think part of that uh, large part of that perhaps had to do with midway through the second set uh, Vashik having some discomfort on his right side. And uh, that clearly affected him moving forward in the match, unfortunately. Yeah. Tommy Paul advancing this one, six, seven, six, two, six, three. And uh, I, the, the sad thing I think here for Vashik is you could tell he really, really wanted this, especially that first set. He was drawing energy from the crowd, um, getting really fired up, letting out some come ons, finally getting across the finish line in the first set. And um, he's dealt with cramping, I think at, at points of his career in the past, that's what he said post-match after this loss that uh, he just couldn't really control cramping in his quad area and his legs. And, and you could really sense that. I, I know as we were watching, we were waiting and anticipating why doesn't he call for a trainer? Why doesn't he do it sooner? Because we, we noticed it was affecting his movement like already in that second set. And uh, you could sense he fell behind two breaks in the second set. Okay, the second set's over. How is he going to manage the third? And is he possibly going to be able to get this under control and, and hold serve and, and see what he can make happen? But uh, it just wasn't feasible. And, and credit to Tommy Paul. He's a good counter punch, puncher and grinder. Beautiful backhand down the line. That, for me, was his big weapon that, that helped him win this match. Yeah, the second set was puzzling because we were both saying, how come he's not calling the trainer out yet? Um, as he was visibly you know, hampered by it and, and basically tanked a couple of games because of his lack of, of ability in terms of movement. 
Uh, at least the third set did kind of come back to a competitive vibe and, yep. and he seemed like he was doing better after seeing a trainer in between those, those two sets. Um, I mean, to look at the positive, the first set was, was very competitive. And after he was down an early break, he managed to come back and get that one. And like you said, he was really fired up, of course, playing in front of the hometown crowd. Um, so disappointing for Vashik. I mean, we had said prior to the match, good thing it's not a daytime match for him because it was so hot yesterday feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, just about 40 degrees Celsius, 102 degrees Fahrenheit out there on the court, super humid, over 80% humidity. And those conditions certainly wouldn't have favored him at night. We thought as it cooled down a little bit, at least should be better, but that wasn't the case. So too bad for Vashik Pospisil, um, a good win for, for Tommy Paul, who will go on to face Roberto Bautista Agu. And uh, also, as you kind of alluded to earlier, the crowd stuck around, which isn't always the case for a Monday night. Uh, when you never know the strength of the second match, sometimes the doubles match, not to disparage doubles, but people don't usually stick around for that in the same numbers. They did last night for Nick Kyrgios, and it was a very, very competitive and composed Nick Kyrgios up until a certain point. Yeah, there there was the final moment that that he flinched and the match completely changed. But uh, Nick Kyrgios, he was he was feeding off the crowd energy early on. I, I felt like he was invested and really wanted to win last night. Uh, he opened getting the first set six four, and uh, getting that pivotal break of serve where he finally changed position on on Opelka's massive serve to, to seize a break there in the first set and uh, get up ahead. And, you know, we were anticipating tie breaks in this match, at least I was. So they went into the second set tie break and, you know, they're trading off points here. And finally there's kind of a, a desperation backhand from Kyrgios that just barely floats over the net. Opelka has to reach over to even play the ball. And Nick is so insistent that he's seen Opelka's foot touch the net. Um, and he just can't let it go in his head. Uh, I'm not sure if his foot touched the net or not. We had replays all over Twitter. Didn't seem like it did, to be honest, from my vantage point. I, I know Kyrgios is closer to the play while he's on the court. But just his lack of ability, I think, to com- compartmentalize these issues. It's happened in the past. It, it totally cost him that tie break. And he was still kind of out of it early third set. Uh, he absolutely lost it. And uh, look, whether it was the case or not, can't say again. When I'm looking at the replay, I don't see the net kind of vibrate or budge as Opelka comes up towards it. The umpire claims she didn't see anything either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it for the tiebreak. Like mentally, he was done so. There was no way he was, you know, the next two points, he, he just was so rattled. Yep. On the uh, eventual set point, he double faulted and both serves were out by several feet. And it was just such a disappointment because up until that point you're seeing him be composed he's interacting a little bit with the crowd he seems to be dialed in the the crowd interaction started to diminish into the second set which to me said hey he really wants this because he's super focused he's not playing around at all um and then that just totally spoiled the the rest of it and i don't know you know if he was able to regroup or not for the third set a little bit but went down an early break and you knew against opelka that was kind of going to be it uh, you did mention that he adjusted his serving position early into the match, and I wonder where he got that that idea. Do you have any clue where that came from? That's a that's a good question, and I appreciate you giving me giving me the credit here because Curios, I believe, in the second game trying to return Riley Opelka's serve, kind of appealed just behind us. What do I do here against Opelka's serve? What do you th- guys think I should do? And I, I mean, I just kind of casually said, move back maybe because he was playing pretty tight to the baseline and you're returning these 230 kilometer bombs. You think 
you know, just give yourself that extra millisecond to react here. And he did take about three or four feet back out of and, and uh, his he repli- position. And he replied to you and said, oh, move back. Okay. And then, yeah, he put <laughs> yeah. that in a place on the very next serve. Finally, all of a sudden it was love 30 on Opelka's serve and, and Kyrgios yeah. ended up getting the break. So I don't know. I feel like uh, maybe, uh, you know, Kyrgios doesn't often say he ever wants a full-time coach. That's not his style, <laughs> but maybe we're onto something here and your coaching skills clearly uh, came into play last night. That was a pretty funny moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering if you wanted to share this or not, we might get accused of on-court coaching and uh, I won't be invited <laughs> back, but I think it's uh, all fun and games as usual for Kyrgios, but it is Opelka advancing in three sets there and he will get uh, Grigor Dimitrov Next, um, just moving on to other storylines from day one, and you hit on it earlier with the temperature. I, I think the heat was one of the biggest storylines of day one, especially during the day heat and humidity affecting the players because um, Humidex 80% felt like 40 degrees and American Taylor Fritz to me had the hardest time. Uh, he called out a trainer was talking about feeling an accelerated heart rate, just felt like he couldn't slow down his heart rate. And uh, that cost him. He lost to James Duckworth in the first round. So, so he's exiting early. Um, we had Fabio Fanini battling with Jan Leonard Struff in the first round. They were both so visibly wiped by the heat in this long three set match. Fanini actually came across the finish line, which I was a little surprised by based on how the match was going, but Fanini advancing in three um, other winners from the day, Marin Cilic, um, he defeated Al- Albert Ramos Vinoyes in three sets, Alexander Bublik beating Dan Evans, Ugo Ember, he got past Lorenzo Sonigo, and then night match, we had John Millman defeating Ricardus uh, Barrancas. But it, it was a very hot day. I want to say it's going to be the hottest day of the tournament. We're, we're having some rain in the forecast the next few days, including um, later this morning. So that would realistically cool things down a bit. But it's actually a pretty hot week in Toronto overall. Yeah, and welcome back to rain delays potentially today, another aspect of live tennis. So if you're going, yeah. you know, bring something to do to keep you entertained in between those those potential breaks. Um, real shame, Taylor Fritz, I just want to touch on, he did tweet out afterwards the harassment he was facing by uh, people who had lost money on the match. And that's nothing oh. new. We, we've seen how yep. people who gamble and are clearly, uh, you know, addicted to that aspect of sport often lash out at players, which is just despicable. And uh, Fritz tweeted out like a stream of all the people that were grinding his gears over, over his loss. The poor guy was in serious, you know, medical peril there in a sense for a little while or felt he was at least. Um, That's really just a sad thing uh, to have to see. So, um, you know, shame on those people. and, And hopefully Fritz is feeling better along with others who were affected in both Toronto and Montreal too. We should say there were three, withdrawals in uh, mid-match withdrawals retirements in Montreal because of the heat Tomlanovich, Bozkova and uh, Martinkova as well I believe so uh, yeah yeah hopefully if there's any good news that comes from a little bit of rain it's that the temperature uh, comes down a little bit um, moving on our big guest uh, for today I'll let you reveal it in a moment because it was your interview but we will hopefully be having daily uh, interviews short interviews with uh, ATP and sometimes WTA players um, which has been great to get that kind of access. And uh, we've got a pretty big one, a first-timer on Matchpoint Canada for today. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, he is uh, world number 12. He is the first Norwegian to actually win an ATP title in the highest ranked ever, and that is Kasper Ruud. And he's coming off just an amazing stretch of tennis. People forget about the block of clay court tournaments, I think, post-Wimbledon, but there is a block which lasts a few weeks. And uh, he played that block over in Austria and also uh, the Nordic countries. He was in Switzerland. Uh, pardon me, Sweden Swe- and Switzerland. That's my favorite of the Nordic countries is Switzerland, actually. I've never I been com- to it, though. I combined the two because he did play in Sweden and Switzerland, pardon me. Um, But this stretch of three tournaments, he won three clay court tournaments in a row. And you'd actually have to go back to 2011. I pointed this out to him. I'm sure he knew uh, was Andy Murray was the last one to actually do that. Three consecutive weeks of tennis, three consecutive tournaments on the ATP circuit. So he's in, you know, immense form coming into Toronto. And now the adjustment is getting back to the hardcourt surface because already he's one of the best clay court players in the world. Um, we spoke about Marin Cilic winning his first round, and that will be Casper Ruud's uh, second round opponent and first match in Toronto. Uh, so without further ado, here's my conversation with world number 12. Casper Ruud. Happy to be joined by Casper Ruud, world number 12, and now getting settled in in Toronto. Just firstly, um, thanks so much for joining us. And how excited are you uh, to be here in Canada and competing at the National Bank Open? Yeah, no, it's it feels very, very nice. I mean, it's the first time I'm here in Toronto, um, second time in Canada. For me, I played a tournament once in Calgary, so... Um, that's on the other side of the country, like the West, yeah. West part. So it's it's very nice. I heard many good things about um, the tournament and, and, the, and the city. Um, this year, we won't be able to do too much other than playing tennis and staying at the hotel. But uh, it's just a very good first impression. And I hope I can come back, of course, many, many more times. And they keep changing up Toronto and Montreal every second year. So hopefully I can also visit Montreal sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's a great dynamic we have here alternating between the cities and uh, hopefully our Toronto fans get acquainted with you because um, this has been such a great breakout season for you. You know, you cracked the top 15, uh, you've won four titles, including three in a row, first player to do so since Andy Murray did that 10 years ago. Um, Just for you personally, what do you think has been the biggest difference in your game in 2021 compared to uh, years past? I think just... um self-belief and self you know confidence in in myself and my game that uh, I can I can challenge uh, big players and play well on on, on the big stage and that my game is uh, especially for now it suits very well to the clay Um, it's it's, uh, where I've had my most success I've had some good some success on hard courts as well and my my best slam result is actually from Australia this year on hard court. So it's I don't feel like I can only play on clay, but it's definitely been the last you know the last months where I've really um, took some steps on the clay and steps up in the ranking with with my clay results. So that's given me of course you know confidence on 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 the clay court. But you know now it's back to hard uh, and it will be hard court for many months. So I have to try to adapt as much as I can. But uh, I think just yeah. And also some big wins have gotten here and there has also helped me, you know, improve my my kind of self-belief that, you know, this is maybe a place where I can belong and um, in, in the top spots in the ranking. I, I hope that I can be here for many years and, and compete against the big, uh, big players. So I think there are many young, 
very, very good and talented players coming up. So I hope I can be a part of that uh, kind of group and uh, that we can we can stick around for many years. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good segue because I did want to ask you about, about the hard courts. You know, you, you have had the incredible success on the clay and, and the three titles in a row on that surface. You know, for example, when Rafael Nadal first came up, I think everyone was marveling at him dominating clay courts. And uh, then, of course, he proved to be so much more than just a clay court player. Um, how, how much more comfortable are you getting on the hard court surface? And you, you mentioned adapting. What's the biggest challenge of transitioning from clay to hard as you get set for a new summer season? Well, I think just for the clay, I think the, the heavy topspin balls maybe they the the surface kind of let you play that more and it, it's more efficient on that surface because on clay you have some wrong bounces and it's not easy to stay too far in in the court and playing you know balls on the rise and these things you can maybe do easier on hard court so I think that's something that kind of suits me well I like to try to play a heavy top spin ball from both sides and and that's kind of where or how I set up my game. But hardcore, you need to kind of flatten out the shots a bit more that I'm, uh, which I'm trying to, to improve and to, to the serve and returns are very important on, on the surface. And that's also something I've been working on. I think my returns have become a lot better the, the recent, uh, in the recent years or the past years. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm developing a bit all the time, I feel so. That's that's a good sign, and I think for the hard court, I I also try need to try to, you know, push myself to take maybe some more chances here and there and step in a little bit more because I'm I'm more of the kind of player that um, plays with good margins and the top spin kind of makes the the ball always kind of drop down, especially on clay and uh, on hard court. You need to try to flatten out the shots a bit more that can you know lead to more mistakes, but also more winner shots. Just uh, two more questions for you. Um, we have many young Canadians in the men's and the women's field competing, even just in qualifying. And, and for some of these players, they're getting these opportunities to basically play at the pro level for the first time, whether it's in Toronto or on the women's side in Montreal. Uh, from your experiences growing up as a junior and trying to make that next step, what advice do you think you would, you would give a young player who's, who's getting that first chance stepping out on a big court against, against a top player? Oof, well, I think that's maybe one of the toughest things when you're young to to kind of get get out on the big stage in a big tournament. Um, you know, for me, being from Norway, it wasn't uh, easy to have those chances because um, we don't really have any tournaments. Uh, we have some futures, so that's basically it. So I had to, uh, you know, rely on IMG that were that that are helping me to to give me some wild cards here and there, and I and I had my chances because of them. So of course I'm, I'm I'm thankful that they helped me. But uh, I remember it was, you know, I was a bit nervous the first times, but you kind of get used to it quicker than you maybe think. And and as soon as the match kind of starts, you it's the the court is the same size, the lines are there, the net net is there. So just try to think, you know, what you're doing good in practice and what you can kind of fall back on, what what kind of game you want to play and believe believe in yourself and that stuff. Because I remember for myself, seeing all these big players on TV, it's tough to kind of think that you can be there yourself. But um, I mean, and you can if you just, you know, work hard and uh, things can take time. But uh, uh, but if you if you receive the wild card or receive the chance, it means you deserve to be there. 
And the last question for you, um, you know, you mentioned coming up in, in Norway and you're, you're the highest ranked Norwegian player in ATP history. I think for our country here in Canada, we've had such a boom in tennis the last decade, even the last four or five years in particular. I mean, you were playing a final against Denis Shapovalov not long ago in Geneva. How yeah. much do you think maybe the sport could grow in, in your home country? And, and do you hope maybe you can be one of these role models for the future generation, just for, for kids seeing that, you know, you're inside the top 15 and, and doing such great things in the sport? I mean, I, I hope so, definitely. And um, I think for now in Norway, we kind of are missing a bit like the, um, the really good centers for tennis because um, half of the air is indoors. So it's a lack of courts and lack of uh, good tennis centers or facilities for, for young people to play, unfortunately. And that's something that would take time to build up. I think uh, for what I've seen here in Canada, they've uh, they've kind of put a lot of effort into that. I think the last mm-hmm. 10 years to make good facilities and, and also indoors. When I was in Calgary, it was indoor. It was a great, great place, really nice and kind of almost brand new. So I think that's obviously something that needs to be there, the, the courts and the availability. But... Yeah, I think obviously if, if if a player from your country is um, if is, is a high up in the rankings, it, it will help. And I think for Canada, I think uh, maybe Raonic has been you know part of that uh, success that they're having now. That he's played Grand Slam final and he's been a very good role model for tennis in in Canada. So and now you you see you have uh, yeah several young players, young big talents, and that hopefully will stay around for many years. So I think that helps and hopefully it can things or something similar can happen in Norway. Thanks, Casper, uh, for joining me and uh, good luck this week in Toronto. Can't wait to watch you. Thank you. There you have it. My interview with Casper Rude and, um, I, I don't know if he said this to become uh, g- gain some Canadian fans, but I asked him um, just about the growth and development of tennis in Canada, and he called Milos Raonic a, a terrific role model and uh, credited him um, for some of the growth as well, reaching that Wimbledon final years ago, and uh, spoke a little about a little bit about his country needing some more of the tennis centers and I, I think invest, investment at the grassroots level uh, to get to our level, but uh, he thinks it's going to improve as well yeah Norway not exactly known as a hot spot for tennis but then again neither was Canada up until you know as he said Milos Raonic and Jeannie Bouchard came along and helped put us there with their results so that was really cool that he gave a shout out to Milos for what he's done in our country and no doubt Casper Ruud is going to inspire a lot of young Norwegians to follow in his footsteps and pick up a, a tennis racket I got to say my favorite part of that interview with you is how he knew that Calgary was on the West coast of Canada. <laughs> yeah, he did. How, how many non-Canadians in the tournament would have any clue that that was the case. So uh, I was very impressed that he recalled that from uh, clearly a, a tournament in his younger days, I guess. Yeah. And look, he's still such a young guy, actually 22 years old and uh, such an incredible surge through the rankings, really the past couple of years just that incremental growth he uh, debuted in the top 25 last year and won his first ATP title and now this season four titles and debuting in the top 15 and um, you think is you know guys like Nadal start aging and we are going to need the next heir apparent at the French Open eventually I'm getting the sense that it will be one of the grand slams that is split quite a bit different players winning it, but surely Casper Ruud is going to be one of those guys that that's getting his chances to, to win a Grand Slam title, particularly, particularly uh, at Roland Garros. 
Yeah, and if you look at the top 10, the top 20 in the ATP rankings, I mean, there has been considerable change there, and the youth movement is already heavily underway, and we're seeing that at results at all sorts of levels of tournaments outside of the slams, but there's definitely been a, a bit of a changing of the guard in terms of a, a mix-up of results at the Masters 1000 level. Yep. And when I look at the draw this week, and nothing against Rafa Nadal and uh, anyone who may be a fan of their game, but of his game, but I think we're going to see one of the young guns come away with it here and, and maybe even two of them in the finals. Uh, they're seizing these moments and they're gaining all sorts of experience and confidence through it. And hey, Casper Root is one of those guys that I think is going to be yeah, a mainstay presence at the top. And uh, yeah, good job on the chat. I really enjoyed that one. Thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, we will get to day two. There's there's a lot of great matches and just running down our order of play, particularly in the day session uh, from Toronto. Uh, I think first matchup is very interesting. Actually, Karen Hatchinoff uh, taking on Cam Norrie and um, Cameron Norrie's having a breakout season himself. And Hatchinoff is coming off a silver medal in Tokyo. So two players in terrific form. Um, Hatchinoff is just an, an immense striker of the ball. So if you are there, get ready to see some great power. And surely he has to be pretty high on confidence if as long as he's fresh making that travel from Tokyo. But he played such a great event at the Olympics. Yeah, that's a match to watch today for sure. And and Cam Norrie is really, in, in some ways, at least for me, I mean, as a non-Brit, like sort of come out of nowhere in terms of the success he's having. I do radio hits for TalkSport in the UK, and I'm used to questions about Andy Murray and Joe Conta and that sort of stuff. But I've had to brush up on my Cam Norrie facts this year because of how well he's being played. I think you hit it on the head there that uh, hatching up how fresh is he going to be from coming all the way from Tokyo? Right. So this could be ripe for Cam Nori to take today. Hatchinov already been on court. He played doubles with Andre Rublev in a very strong Russian tandem, and they knocked out the Canadian duo of Felix Auger-Aliassim and Alexis Galarno, one of Felix's good buddies who plays NCAA tennis. And uh, the Canadians, not at the same level as their Russian counterparts, but made it fairly competitive. And for the Russians, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, revenge from the Davis Cup uh, beating that Shapovalov and Pospisil gave them. I shouldn't say beating. It was a very close match uh, going back to 2019 in the Davis Cup uh, semifinals. Um, but uh, I do think we're going to see a lot of Russian-Canadian back and forth on the ATP. Both nations have such a strong presence in the top 25 today. But uh, anyway, should be a great one today. And, and what else do we have in Toronto to look forward to? Yeah, Kei Shikori will be taking on Serbian Miomir Kekmanovic. Nishikori, later stages of his career, absolutely. But uh, he just played a great tournament in Washington, made the semifinals there. Uh, he actually beat Cam Nori there, who was the seventh seed. He took out Bublik as well. So clearly feeling good form at the moment. Um, he lost to uh, Mackenzie McDonald, who was there in the finals against Yannick Sinner. Uh, we have the top seed, Daniel Medvedev, kicking off the North American swing. And of course, I think he loves this stretch of the season based on how he played in 2019. But he started in 2019 in Washington making a final. This time he opted not to play Washington, focuses on uh, Toronto and then Cincinnati. He'll be placing uh, Alexander Bublik, who, of course, took out Dan Evans. I think that's an interesting match. Um, should be starting after four o'clock is when we'll get Marin Chilich and Casper Ruud. And just taking a peek at the night session, um, Stefano Tsitsipas, the last time we saw him competing in Toronto, uh, an 
incredible breakout tournament. If we remember, I think four wins over top 10 players, including taking out Novak Djokovic and then a competitive final falling to uh, Rafael Nadal. So that was a big turning point in his career, that tournament in Toronto. He'll be uh, the highlight of the night session taking on Ugo Ambert. I hope to have some insider CC Pass information for you this week. I haven't mentioned this to you, by the way, but okay. his driver for the tournament follows us on Twitter. Uh, and Sonia, every now and then, does reach out to me and uh, mention that this year, as she's volunteering at the tournament, she's the driver for uh, the Greek tennis players. So who knows? I said, well, hey, if you hear anything, you know, really cool, let me know. Also, feel free to, you know, extend to him an invitation if he's bored yeah. and looking for something to do in the bubble. So you never know. But uh, yeah, another good day of action here in Toronto. And I don't know about you, but we really got to pace ourselves through this week because just as I'm sure the players had to adjust when they played their first tournaments uh, post the first few months of the pandemic last summer, I'm feeling like there's that, you know, shaking off the rust and readjusting to so many hours of watching tennis and so much time chasing stories and interviews. Um, it's only Tuesday, but it feels like it's deeper in the tournament for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, we had our work going uh, Saturday, Sunday as well with uh, various pre-tournament press conferences. I was doing a write-up, a full preview, and we had a full preview episode, a couple interviews as well. So it has been a very, very busy few days. Um we especially have to pace ourselves with the night sessions and then the turnover getting out of podcast to you guys. But uh, I think we can manage it okay. Um, okay. We should yep. we should uh, quickly just check in on Montreal. You know, you mentioned the heat being an issue there as well, where it reached 39 degrees Celsius. But uh, the storyline for me was uh, the night match following Layla Fernandez. She lost to Harriet Dart, but uh, Rebecca Marino um, knocking off 16th seed Madison Key 6-3-6-3 in just over an hour, hour six-minute win. Um, this is an unbelievable result for her to me. And it was actually her first win over a top 50 player in over a decade. So you could tell she was just elated and she really just controlled this match from start to finish. So I was so happy for Rebecca to, to get a win like this. And, and when you say first win over a top 50 player in over a decade, it almost makes it not that you were making it sound this way, but you could interpret that as, oh, well, it was just like a one-off and, and a fluke. I don't, and I don't think, and I don't believe you do either, that the way that she's been playing and what she's capable of is a fluke at all. I think this mm -hmm. is a player who should be in the top 100, who given, you know, the amount of uh, more opportunities, I should say, to play tournaments is bound to get that ranking up close to that, that spot anyways. And although it was an incredible result and it was, um, you know, surprising maybe for some, it didn't shock me uh, that she beat Madison Keys. I mean, Keys is not necessarily the most consistent player and, and hasn't been over the past couple of years. Um, and Marino, we know that when she's focused, she's got a big time game. So those are two players with similar style games. And yep. Marino in post-match press said it was kind of about who was going to start dictating the point and take charge first. And she tried to do that and clearly was successful. So got to be super happy for her. She started the year out great by qualifying for the Aussie open, which was her first main draw slam. And, again, ages, um, nearly beat Petra Martic, a top 20 to 30 opponent in her next event there in Australia. And now she has this. So it's just fantastic to see Rebecca Marino, who normalized talking about mental health before it was really made comfortable and, and open and, and as it is today, easier, I think. Uh, that's debatable when you look at the flack Naomi Osaka got, I guess, mm -hmm. earlier this year. But Rebecca Marino taking that time off and prioritizing her mental health 
and now coming back at this stage of her career and enjoying these kind of moments, um, there's nothing sweeter. Yeah, yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, for Montreal's Layla Annie Fernandez, I, I know she would have had high hopes competing at her home tournament. She's still just 18 years old. We we have to understand that and and take I think any loss with a grain of salt. Uh, she lost Harriet Dart seven five seven six. I I did love her competitive spirit in this match because she was down a break in that second and, and it looked like it could have been slipping away. She fought back and forced a tie break. Um, but uh, Dart played an impressive match actually. I thought she. Played Played really well. She's ranked just 172. So for her to produce that level was impressive. And uh, Fernandez said afterwards, just just too many errors from her side of the court. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's rare to see Leila Annie Fernandez in the role of the favorite uh, in a WTA tournament of this size. But that was the case, and and maybe in part that kind of threw her a little bit. Although she's so focused that I wouldn't think so. But uh, definitely gave the edge to Fernandez going in and thought, oh, won't this be sweet? We'll end up with an all-Canadian second round against Bianca Andrescu. Um, not to be. And if there's any silver lining that comes out of this, I guess, for Canadian tennis fans, it's that, well, I think this offers Bianca probably a, a better way to ease herself into the tournament than playing against Fernandez, the tricky lefty that has given Bianca some fits in practice sessions, as she's admitted before. So, Hopefully this does bode well for Bianca to have a strong start to her tournament. Um, but too bad for Layla Annie, who I know is pretty hard on herself. We've seen that from her this summer when we spoke with her after Wimbledon. Um, but part of the learning curve and, and hopefully she can bounce back quickly. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we won't give you the full order of play rundown for Montreal, but just a few matches to to highlight at least to, to really follow along with. Diana Yastremska coming over from the Tokyo Olympics, coming off her suspension. She'll be facing Sloane Stephens. And this is a, a matchup of two mercurial talents kind of looking for their form, right? And you really don't know what you're going to get from either side of the court. That's a good word. I'm going to go Google that now because I'm not quite <laughs> sure what it means. But what I feel like is that kind of like enigmatic. Yeah, or, yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah. All right. There you go. Thanks. I love when you use big words like that. Um, <laughs> that's a great matchup. That could go either yeah. way for sure. I think I'm going to give Sloan the edge because of more match play and the fact that she typically plays well in Canada, too. Um, but uh, but really, either one of them could come through and then have the huge task of facing number one seed Arena Sabalenka. So that's not going to get easier for them. Uh, Coco Goff makes, uh, I don't want to say her Canadian debut because uh, I'm sure she's played at some point, perhaps a lower level tournament here. But I think it's her debut anyways at the WTA 1000 event mm -hmm. at the National Bank Open. Um, so that's nice to see her here on our soil. And of course, Bianca plays the, the big 7 p.m night match to kick things off in that session in Montreal and the the Montreal crowd is just gonna love that one yeah yeah I think they're gonna embrace her immediately I will mention one other Canadian playing and uh, she's returned from injury played played great all season uh, with two ITF finals Carol Zhao will face uh, Spain Sarah Saribe's Tormo in the first round so another match to follow on your schedule uh, today make sure to check in with us tomorrow and check in all day with us uh, on Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find us on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. Tomorrow, it will be Russian Andre Rublev as our guest for day three. So you got to check in for that. Yeah, looking forward to sharing my chat with Rublev. Uh, initially, when the tournament sent the audio over, it was missing the whole first half. I thought, oh my God, no, we've lost half of our interview. And fortunately, they found it. And so, yeah, we chat about his Olympic gold medal, uh, experience with uh, Nastya Pavlichenkova, 
We talk about the potential of a Canada-Russian rivalry and a whole lot more. So keep checking in with us. Every day we got podcasts. Every day we're covering the action from both cities. And uh, every day we look forward to uh, bringing you all of these stories. We'll talk to you soon, tennis fans. Bye.